Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today, we'll be talking about the newest Underground Magic the Gathering format that nobody is talking about, Middle School. And then, Eating Around Cleveland. Uh, yeah, we're here with uh, Jake Kilty and Steve McGrew, uh, two of the originators of the middle school format, uh, which uh, has recently been, uh, I don't know, popularized, talked about, written about on uh, Eternal Central. So there's a few events coming up, and uh, I know uh, Josh Chapel and I have both really enjoyed it. So Me too, just by proxy. Yeah, well, it's fun. So welcome, Steve and Jake. Hello. Happy. <laughs> We said hi at the same time. Good times. <laughs> uh, so uh, we were talking a little bit before the show and discovered that uh, it was actually uh, Steve and another friend who sort of came up with the idea for middle school. It's sort of similar to hyperextended or pre-modern. But what, where did that come from and what did you uh, what did you do when you were putting it together? I had first gotten the idea of a fourth through scourge old border format from listening to an old school podcast. I believe it was flipping orbs and I'm not sure exactly what, whether he was talking about something he just played within his playgroup or if it was like an actual format, it might, he might've been talking about pre-modern, which is popular in Europe, but that idea really gravitated to me. And cause I really like that era of magic from like 1995 up to 2003 and, uh, you know, all our old border fourth edition up through Scourge, including the promo sets. Yeah, this sort of bridges the gap between old school and modern. Basically, you have old border cards, but nothing that's uh, none of the out of range power cards or uh, hard to find low print run sets. Yeah, definitely. I started playing around 2003 and that was around like eighth edition, right around the time of the border change. But the cards I really like to collect were the older ones. And I used to like go back through the old coverage of old extended tournaments. And I just thought that was like the coolest magic. And it was something that was totally out of my reach. And uh, now I get to play all the good decks from back in that era. So Steve had kind of talked a little bit about this format. And we sort of have an informal play night at Panera Bread here in Lakewood. I'm right outside of Cleveland. The Panera Bread Open. The Panera Bread Open. And that typically has been vintage or legacy or old school. But Steve had brought up this format and it sounded really awesome to me. That was actually like kind of my bread and butter beginning of tournament play. I remember when the dual lands rotated out of extended and like playing extended at that time and picking up my force of wills for the first time when they rotated out of extended being very excited about it. Mm. So for me, part of the reason that it appealed so much is it was very nostalgic for me in middle school. Like that was the the, the era that it highlighted really well for me. And knowing that there was a format where I could play survival and recurring nightmare and some of these things that seem too powerful for legacy, but not quite good enough for vintage. Although I guess survival has had a resurgence recently, just was really kind of special. And so we, we started at those Panera Bread Opens working on a ban list having lots and lots of discussion about different decks and different resources that we could look at for things from those eras and building out sort of a, I don't know, a fun little meta and seeing if there was anything that was broken. It sort of has grown from there. The great thing about it, though, is that 
because it doesn't include the dual lands, because they're, you know, printed before 4th edition, it reminds me a lot of that era of Magic in that you don't have perfect mana all the time. So for those of us that play a lot of, you know, modern era Magic, we're used to Magic where basically if you want to play any number of colors, you just kind of can, even if it's standard. Yeah. You have so many ways to play whatever three color, four color deck you want. And that's just not true in old magic. It was like an actual cost and allied versus enemy color, like pairings mattered. And that's a really cool kind of feature of the format that I was nostalgic for. Also terrible creatures. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, when I first heard about middle school and I heard that Jake and Steve were involved and I was like, Oh, Jake has been trying to find like this, interactive middle ground format between like legacy vintage and standard for a while. And I know you were on that on commons kick for a while. Yeah. As far as power level goes, it's a nice middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then I think middle school came along and I think that like, that's what you were looking for. It, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, and don't get me wrong. Some of those other ones have been fun. Uncommons was actually great. It was just sort of hard to get people into it. But part of it is also that like old school was interesting to me, but I didn't play them. So I don't have the kind of nostalgia that I know a lot of the kind of original players have for decks like that with Moxin and all that stuff. I started playing Moxin way later when I you know, got into Vintage in 2003, 4, 5, somewhere in there. So having a format that was more like the things that I had nostalgia for was part of it, in addition to the fact that it reminded me of the kind of magic that I liked, which was creatures are terrible, <laughs> mana bases are hard to put together, combo decks are real, but they're not unstoppable. It just felt like the kind of magic that I remember learning and loving kind of growing up on magic, and that's hard to find now because of planeswalkers and overpowered creatures. I mean, heck, even in Vintage, it's hard to find a deck that doesn't run a fair amount of creatures anymore. I think that the lack of a restricted list coming from a vintage and old school perspective, you don't have those one of cards that are sort of required to play and that are also, you only see once in a while. Instead, it's all or nothing and you can have four ofs of some very powerful cards, which feels good to me as a tournament player. Yeah, so I guess that's a good point. Before we get too far along, does someone want to take the responsibility of legally defining the format brief conversation on the band list and then card availability. Cause I think that's one of the interesting things too, of you guys have tried to make the format accessible to more people or like some of the higher end cards with the championship. I mean, I, I can talk about that a little bit. And then if somebody, if Steve, if you want to chime in, uh, sure. that's good to me, but um, just the, the basic layout to start is as we said, it's fourth edition through scourge, but unlike some of the other similar formats, we include all the kind of supplemental sets that came out at that time. So, Portal. so that includes things like Portal. And that includes some of the other expansions. So there's a couple weird cards that you wouldn't expect to be legal. Him to Turok, for example, uh, had a strange reprinting. In anthologies. <laughs> in anthologies. And we allow anthologies because it was printed in that time period. But like pre-modern doesn't allow that. So there's some kind of interesting cards like that that you'll find. We also allow the book promos. Mana Crypt is banned. Um, (laughs) so that's sort of the basic layout. And one other sort of feature is that we allow the world championships and pro tour decks that were a feature that came out, I think from like 1996 to 2003 or four. So those are the gold bordered cards, gold bordered cards. They have a different back. Those are legal in middle school for accessibility for the most part. And to just, yeah, to allow uh, more people to have access because, For me, and I think this is probably true for you guys as well about Vintage and 
some of the other formats we play, like we just want people to play. I don't care about kind of the prestige of the real version of some card. I want people to be able to play the format because I want to play it. So that's sort of what drove that decision. We talked about that a lot. And in a similar vein, we don't have the restriction that you have to play the old bordered version of the art. We have a preference for it. It obviously feels cooler to play those older versions. But if you're going to have, I don't know how many decks I have with City of Brass, probably eight. If you want to have some that are new bordered because they're a lot cheaper, I'm not going to fault you if that's going to make you play. So yeah, so that's sort of the, the legality part. And then we can talk a little bit about the ban and restricted list. It might be worthwhile to talk about the pre-modern list because it's sort of a similar one and we have very different ban lists. Sure. So pre-modern, similar format in that it's from the same era of Magic. They don't allow Portal Starter, though. Just the sets that were in standard at one point. It looks like the pre-modern list is a lot more extensive. Yes. So um, the basic philosophy they had is that they're going to ban Force of Will and then they're going to ban a lot of the broken combo cards. Hmm because Force of Will isn't holding them back. Whereas the middle school ban list uh, has Force of Will legal, and it has several other cards that we've tested and found to be fine. So anti-cards, straight out, that's pretty easy. And then a lot of you know the vintage hard hitters, such as Balance, other restricted cards like Demonic Consultation, Mind Twist, those are banned. Tolarian. <laughs> yeah, a couple of the cards that might be surprising if you were a person that played a lot of extended back in the day or just if you're thinking about the era are brainstorm dark ritual mana vault mana crypt we mentioned already mind's desire and vampiric tutor all those cards were legal for a long time or were never banned mm-hmm. in extended but we've just found that especially to kind of differentiate a little bit from legacy and some of the other formats that you see a lot and also to maybe allow for a couple more strategies to broaden it a little bit we wanted to allow some of those cards. Or I mean, uh, get rid of some of those cards to kind of broaden the base. That does let us have a couple other cards legal, which are pretty fun. For example, Necropotence is legal. So if you've never gotten the chance to play four Necropotence in a deck, come hang out in a middle school tournament and play some Necropotence. It's crazy. Also, uh, Gush is legal. If you're a vintage player, that might sound crazy. But remember, there's no dual lands. So like, it's a commitment to play a lot of islands if you're doing that. Those are some of the cards we kind of had choices about. And I feel like you can't have, for example, Dark Ritual and Necro Legal. And we decided to go with the card, at least for me, that felt more fun and like allowed for kind of a different experience in the formats. Yeah, actually, I, I kind of like that. I was going to bring up one more difference between middle school and pre-modern. They ban uh, Necro, but they allow Bargain, which maybe they shouldn't, because I think Bargain might be better with Rector. Yeah. But they also ban Show and Tell, which would be a pretty broken combo with Bargain. Whereas show and tell without bargain, pretty tame. Hmm, yeah. You guys were talking about middle school for a long time before I actually got into it. It really took me thinking about decks that I played in that era, for example, when I was in middle school, <laughs> to actually, you know, get excited about, oh, I remember these cards. Oh, I remember this strategy. I remember I remember doing this and having fun. That was actually what got me back into it, you know, remembered decks that i could play that i immediately helm of eggs is the actual other artifacts the eggs from odyssey it was actually different because i found when i was building it the list i had previously been used to used dark ritual for sure it's a different kind of challenge to try and navigate around that i think it's actually been- that's the thing that's kind of great about the format is there are a lot of reference like from different eras but mm-hmm. you almost necessarily can't port them directly yeah either they're an extended deck that allowed dual lands or like at that time you could play demonic consultation or you could play dark ritual or you could play mana vault or whatever and so part of the fun is there's a ton of places to go for ideas and a ton of decks that people like 
have that instant nostalgia for but it's paired with these new restrictions that I think make it interesting. Yeah, I think there's so many different cards that are powerful or powerful in combination, either that had been played together or haven't been played together. And there's just a lot of directions to go. Like it's refreshing to see that, I mean, for the size of the format, the band list, you can really get into a lot of different... Uh, I'm actually looking at the band list now and I'm wondering what combos with Flash that makes Flash or band rather. Uh, Academy Rector. Oh, of course. 100%. Okay. Yeah, so Academy Rector is one of the most powerful cards in the format. Mm -hmm. It's like, I wouldn't say it's on a watch list or anything like that, but it's definitely like one of the cards that does some of the more broken things. It's held in a little bit by the fact that bargain is not legal. So the things you're doing are usually either getting a combo piece for one of the many two or three card combos um, that are available in the format, but that are a little bit janky, or there's a couple of good sort of value ones. Necro is one. Form of the Dragon yeah, is Form one. of the Dragon. But they're all sort of beatable. The thing that we didn't want was somebody to be able to do that, especially because at best you're doing that on turn two, three, four. Right. If you could do Flash, it wouldn't be that hard to assemble it on a turn one. And like turn one tutor for Necro or Form of the Dragon even is like very hard to beat. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. I, I hadn't thought about Rector, but yeah, Flash Flash definitely was like it could. Go back to the nostalgia thing. I mean, like that's kind of what got me hooked is like, you know, being on the Slack and you guys talk about middle school and I'm like, oh, I have a Odyssey block standard madness deck that I haven't touched in 17 years. So let me pull it out. And at Eternal Weekend, we had an Airbnb with a bunch of people and I just played literally that standard deck and then cards that sucked. I swapped out from someone's box and like made changes over and over again and played that for Saturday and Sunday. And that was super fun. I mean, like that's the kind of magic that I like playing. And I know you mentioned earlier, no planeswalkers, also the kind of magic I like playing. Well, and it's funny because that deck, I feel like there's maybe like four or five decks that are the first place people go when they hear about the format. And then they all go off in crazy directions from there. But madness is one that like crops up a lot because, well, it was always cheap. You know, it's powerful. It has one of the best creatures in the format in wild mongrel. And it's just sort of fun to play because a lot of us, if we were playing tournament magic at that time, we just had experience with the deck. Yeah. I, I like, that was one of the first ones I built too, just to like test it out. That was actually one of the places we checked to see if gush would be okay. Because we were on the fence about Gush. We were like, man, Gush, Wild Mongrel seems real good. And Josh, I think you can attest, it is quite good, but it's not game-breaking. Yeah, no, I mean, it it gives Uh, you some reach, but it is not too good. I mean, I think intuition is also pretty good with Wild Mongrel. because Sometimes you can get Wonder or like intuition for value if you're not getting AKs. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... It's funny because that's one of the cards that I keep that I try and jam in like every deck. I love the card Intuition. I just think it's a really sweet card. And so like there are a lot of decks that I just jam Intuition into, especially because there aren't as many tutors as there were in the format. And that's one thing that is different nostalgia-wise from the the time period. At that time, tutors were just a thing that were like accepted as part of the game. The Empiric Tutor was always legal and extended, which like amazed me. I didn't believe it. We had a conversation about this and I looked it up and it never got banned. It just rotated out eventually. That's crazy. <laughs> like the Empiric Tutor is so powerful, but just every, like all the black decks played it. Value decks, combo decks, control decks, doesn't matter. And it was just accepted in the same way that we never questioned. Of course, Dark Ritual is always going to be available in standard. And then when it's not, you suddenly realize, oh, that was like changing fundamentally the way that the game worked. Yeah, it certainly shaped how black was played for years. I mean, like all of yeah, your black decks absolutely. were like, oh, four dark ritual and then go from there. <laughs> yeah. 
And so that's one of the things for me, like I reach for certain cards that make me feel that way still. So I like decks that have intuition. I have a lot of the um, other Mirage era tutors. Mystical tutor is legal and Enlightened tutor is very good. <laughs> Worldly tutor has seen a little bit less play, but still see some play in some decks. I think that there's there's power there. You know what else is a really powerful card that didn't see much play because Vamp was played at the time is Gamble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen a Gamble deck yet. Oh man, I have three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give us like a a sort of basic primer on the format? Like what decks are good at various levels? I mean, just in the sort of general sense, like what are some ideas? Just before we jump into it, I just want to give a caveat. I think, and I'm going to guess that Steve and I are probably on the same page about like what the top tier-ish of decks are. But I would say the difference between tier one and like tier three is a lot less than your average constructed format. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of decks that are good but inconsistent, but can run really hot sometimes. Yeah, so if we say, if we don't like mention a deck that, you know, one of the listeners is thinking about and they're like, oh, I really wanted to play this, but they didn't say it was good, that doesn't mean it's not good. One, because the format is certainly not fully explored, and two, like there's too many decks to name, but these are ones that we know have had like pretty good success and that are consistent and have some like powerful lines to them it's certainly not an exhaustive list is always going to say i mean at this point i'm really just trying to get a list of decks so that jeff can find something he likes or just play turbo (laughs) things magic cards so i'm not entirely certain that that's the workable solution no you'll be fine don't worry (laughs) so i figure uh we can list some aggro control and combo decks i'll do aggro and control and you can list off the combo or sounds good like that Sure. So aggro, mono red, sly, mono red burn, red deck wins, whatever you want to call it. That's uh, something that is showing up in top apes a lot. And it's just, we know it's good. Lightning bolt is in the format. Uh, Incinerate and lots of other tier two burn is, is in there. Jackal pup, grim lava mancers. Also goblins. Um, Goblins is excellent because goblin lackey is legal. You can play that in turn one and they better have an answer to it. But those are, you know, both red. Some people like to play mono green stompy. There's blue green madness. That's sort of an your aggro tempo deck. One deck that I haven't seen too many people play is um, white weenie backed up by Armageddon. You know, those are all kind of very classic decks right there. From the control side, standstill seems to be uh, the most popular draw engine. Um, or I don't know about the most popular, but it's very good. Uh, you can play straight up land still. Mistress factories in the format. And then you can play other manlands, or you can play uh, Psychotog. A lot of people like that. Um, that has some pretty explosive plays. Going back to the standstill, you can also put that in Oath of Druids as well. Oath is legal. That's another vintage card, and it's fair because the best thing you can oath up is probably a, a Morflinger and a Chroma. And also, Forbidden Orchard is not legal, so you need your opponent to play creatures or to play yeah, some yeah. kind of janky cards to give them creatures. Yeah, you can't build entirely around Oath, so you can stick it in a control shell or even, you know, sideboard into it is something that people might explore. As far as combo, I like my reanimator, and I'm going to be working on building some sort of rector deck, but Jake, I'll let you talk about that since you seem to have like 15 combo decks. (laughs) Yeah, to varying degrees of success. I would say the like, especially for the era, a thing that you're just going to see is, like, various versions of Pebbles. And if you're not familiar with that kind of nomenclature, there was a three-card combo, which I know to modern ears, a three-card combo sounds terrible. But it was very common at the time to play these three-card combo decks. And it involved Enduring Renewal, 
which lets whenever a creature dies, it comes back to your hand. There's some other stipulations on there, but that's the important part for the means of the combo. Goblin Bombardment, which lets you sacrifice a creature to deal one damage to any target, and then a zero drop creature. So like Ornithopter or Shield Sphere, that's infinite damage, right? So that three-card combo has been in a lot of different shells. It was at the time, and it is in the format now, and in a couple different shells. There's ones that run Necro and run Academy Rector and Mox Diamond and stuff like that to accelerate and to have kind of consistent black mana. And that usually runs a fair amount of copies of the Zero Drops because it lets you play things like Phyrexian Tower to accelerate into Necro and other things. There's a version of that that runs Survival and Recurring Nightmare called, and back in the day it was called Wheaties, which lets you do kind of two different things. And there's some other shells into which that can go, but those are the kind of big, or one of the big kind of archetypes of those. And people will refer to those as like Cocoa Pebbles, Wheaties, Fruity Pebbles. If you don't know this, it was really, really common originally for combo decks in Magic to be named after cereal or breakfasts later. And so there's a bunch of really funny ones. And there's some like plays on that too. So if you're, there's the Life Combo deck, which lets you gain infinite Get life. Um, also Life Cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> one of the funniest decks in the format is one called Full English Breakfast that I played in Extended one million years ago, and it taught me how the stack worked. <laughs> but basically, it's a combo around a card called Volrash Shapeshifter. Um, and what it says is basically, it's a copy of whatever creature is the top card of your graveyard. So there's a bunch of different ways that can kill you. Suffice it to say, there's that plus Survival of the Fittest allows you to kind of do interesting combos. I'll leave it as sort of a a proof for the the listening audience to figure out what the best ways to do that are. There's articles and stuff out there too. One of the other options that's available is Tricks. That combo, again, cute name, is Illusions of Grandeur plus Donate. So you play Illusions of Grandeur, you gain 20 life, you donate it to your opponent, they can't pay the cumulative upkeep, and then they lose 20 life and hopefully that just kills them. There's different versions of that. There's versions around uh, Sapphire Medallion. Uh, which just makes everything cheaper and lets you play things like the Intuition AK, Accumulated Knowledge Engine, to draw a lot of cards. There's versions built around Necro, which was a very popular deck at the time and extended. There are a bunch more combo decks, but I think those are some of the more popular versions floating around. There are also a bunch of like weird esoteric combos. If you're looking for something really strange, Turbo's V is a cute one. It's a Mind's Desire combo deck that removes all the lands in the deck so that it can infinitely chain through all the cards. Is it Mind's Desire Bane? Um, oh, no, sorry, not Mind's Desire. Excuse me. Dream oh, Dream Hall, sure. I meant Dream Hall. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I got confused about my blue broken. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I knew that we tested Mind's Desire and found it was yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's funny because there's a couple other cards in that vein that we've tested or have been testing and are considering in different capacities. We've talked a lot about Tinker and whether or not Tinker is too broken. It's a little more dangerous now that we... So Grim Monolith actually probably snuck into like the last draft where we were testing it and found it was fine. And now if Tinker is legal, you can Tinker with Grim Monolith, which is pretty good. Oh, sure, good. yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, the reason that we're sort of considering it is that like PT Tinker, if you followed back in the day when there was a pro tour, I think six or seven of the top eight were all Tinker, happened after Mirrodin came out. And before that, the Tinker targets were a little bit less powerful there's still cool stuff and there have been tinker decks or there were tinker decks and extended throughout that time period we're really trying to see if it's broken or if it's something that can be dealt with or if it just plays kind of like a blue wildfire deck which is another one you're certainly um Mm -hmm. people have played so there's definitely different options um with respect to combo that are available the other thing that i would say is there are i don't know i guess i would call them packages of cards where 
you can put them in a bunch of different shells and they can be powerful. So Steve mentioned Sly or Red Deck Wins, really. One of the things that makes that deck tick, at least for me, is like the fact that Rashad and Port and Wasteland are both mm-hmm. there. And if you're playing an aggressive deck with a bunch of one drops and you have Rashad and Port and Wasteland, if your opponent stumbles, they're probably going to lose. That is not something that's confined only to red. Oh, sure. So like that package of Wasteland, Rashad and Port, maybe Dust Bowl, and like low to the ground creatures. I have a green deck wins that's very similar in some ways to the red deck wins decks, but has a a slightly different angle. And it's because of that package. And so same thing with like the pebbles combo, you can move that between survival, between Academy Rector, between um, sort of different kinds of decks. And one thing that I've found to be really fun is to see how far you can kind of stretch some of those powerful sets of cards to see if you can make them work. Um, Another one is probably just playing like four to rest, four cabal therapy and dudes. We didn't mention it, but the rock is very good. As it turns out, those plus pernicious deed are powerful cards. But we've tried that with splashing red or splashing white or in oath. And like all those have had sort of different amounts of success. But there's I think if you find an interaction that you like, try it. You can try it in a couple different shells and see which ways it'll work. The sort of last thing I'm going to mention, just because I feel like I've talked a long time, even though I only had a sort of chunk of the pie of uh, of, arch- of major archetypes, is prison. So we've had a fair amount of talk in the format about whether or not something like meditate stacks could work, or um, I don't know if you would count wildfire as prison or not, but it does run Mishra's Helix. It runs, you know, Rashad and Ports and Wasteland sometimes. It sometimes runs other land destruction spells. It runs wildfire. Did you think about stasis? Is that a prison yeah. deck? Because I, I think that deck's probably pretty good. And that, yeah, and that's sort of the last one. We've had some people trying out different versions of Stasis. If you ever had the desire to play Stasis, I think this is your format. <laughs> Not because it's so powerful that it's unbelievable, because it's just like the sweet spot of when all those card interactions like got you to the right power level. I think it's called Forbidden City yep. is the card that you can discard a card to untap a land. It also has Gush in your mono blue deck that's trying to untap or you know that isn't allowing people to untap which is very powerful yeah, and dazed right Fort is a playable card and chronotog is a thing that you can do so we've had a couple people like kind of play around with stasis and i think there's some power there when i think about archetypes that's one of the ones i think about that sometimes is underrepresented in other formats but we definitely have some prisony things going on so if, if that tickles your fancy it's a good place to look is the is the middle school format. Like I said, I got into it and started playing uh, Helm of Awakening Eggs, which is a uh, combo deck and uses uh, Helm of Awakening to make the Odyssey block eggs cheaper. And you sort of cycle through your deck using that and then use Meditate and Frantic Search to reload and eventually find Tendrils. So it's, a, I mean, it's a good, fun Tendrils deck. When I played it at our the local event that you sort of introduced uh, the format to us, the only deck I lost to was um, the Pebbles deck. The other deck that I got into when I was telling the store owner in Sandusky, Dave, about the format, who Dave has been our local store owner for Jeff and Josh and me for since we were in actual middle school. And like I, I told him about this format and he was very excited because I was like, you can play Ted Land Stompy. And he was like, I love Ted Land Stompy. So we, we spent the afternoon putting that together and um, uh, I that still have it. Good. Yeah, no, it's fun. Like it, it's a turn four goldfish. Like it's, yeah, it's consistent. Like, what about the Dave used to play that um, thawing glaciers palancron deck? You could probably play that. Oh, did it run mana flare? I don't know, but it it created infinite mana. Mana flare is a card that should format. Do that. 
Um, yeah, I, I've been working on a Mana Flare deck for a while that I've been calling No Tide because I'm trying to build it like a High yeah. Tide deck with Mana Flare instead of High Tide. And it's close. I feel like with some with some more eyes on it, it could be a really fun deck. I loved those decks back in the day. And that's one of the few things that we don't have access to. High Tide wasn't in Anthology, wasn't in any other like weird set sort of in the interim. So there's no High Tide, yeah. which was a staple of Extended. So I've been really jonesing for a deck that kind of fits in that space. Oh, well, I was actually just going to ask what the reason for keeping Fallen Empires out of the format was. Because I like for me, that's like a very initial part of my learning magic was Fallen Empires. Like I owned a lot of Fallen Empires because the packs were 75 cents at the time. Value. Yeah, no, it's, you just got a ton of cards. And so I was wondering what, uh, is it just because there are, it's in some uh, old school formats or is it, is there another reason? Well, it is in, in old school. So um, it's sort of clean how old school ends and then middle school begins. Okay, sure. But I wouldn't say that Fallen Empires is, there's a possibility it sneaks in at some yeah. point. I, I have no plans for that, but um, it could happen. Yeah. I like being able to tell people when I explain the format, because I, I actually did this last night when I was at a legacy tournament and I said middle school a bunch of times until I forced someone to ask me what I was talking about. And they said, you know, what is that? And it was really nice people to say, oh, it's from where old school ends to where modern sure. begins. And then, you know, say some more words about that. But it's, it is nice to be able to say that, especially since Eternal Central is kind of, helped us a little bit with the format, kind of publicizing it and things like that. They have a good group in, in Chicago going. So I like being able to do that thing, even though I would love for High Tide to be legal. I think that's like the only card that's missing from anthologies and that's in Fallen Empires that isn't in the format yeah. <laughs> that you'd want to play. It's definitely one of your pet cards. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know that there's a lot of other things missing. A lot of the other cards that you would think of from that era are actually in some of those supplemental sets. So like the Pump Knights are legal, kind of both sets of Pump Knights, but the Fallen Empire Pump Knights are there. Him to Turok is there. Um, Merchant Scroll is in Homeland, so it's there. Like there's just, there aren't that many good cards in Fallen Empires that we're missing out on. And it does, it makes it a lot cleaner. I just think it's cool that we get to play with Imperial Recruiter and Goblin Settler. And, uh, you know, maybe somebody will play like the 12 time walk deck <laughs> oh, yeah because yeah. Uh, yeah you get a uh, the the portal one and the second age and then there's a portal third age one three kingdoms it's like temporal manipulation and i don't remember what the three kingdoms one is oh yeah capture of jingzhou and the same thing with like wildfire there's burning of zinye yeah so you have like potentially eight copies of wildfire there are actually a couple cool cards that you get from that too we had talked about forbidian like that kind of archetype you get the version of, I forget what the name of the card was, but it was like two and two blue flyer, one, three, that when I hit your point, you drew a card. Thieving Magpie? Yeah, Thieving Magpie, but there's the version with Horsemanship. Oh. That's oh, legal, okay. Which is just like a huge upgrade. <laughs> oh, that's neat. And the same thing is true of um, Earthquake. Rolling Earthquake is just like a better card. Oh, yeah. So we, we had talked about that. Like, I have a friend who's very into the Wildfire deck, and he was like, man, it stinks that Earthquake doesn't kill Flyers. And I was like, have you seen Rolling <laughs> Earthquake? <laughs> He's like, my deck just got so much better. Yeah. So it's been cool to like kind of have people discover those cards. Same thing with like Jungle Lion. We were talking about like the green Stompy deck and like a 2-1 that can't block for one is pretty yep. good in that deck. Yeah, there's other <laughs> two ones for one and that's probably the best one. Talking about decks, I know you guys talked about, you know, kind of the archetypes of what you can build, but I think it's also interesting to talk about the champs decks because I feel like there are some of those that if you really just wanted to like 
buy a deck and sleeve it up and play it, you probably could. And it's interesting to me because I, you know, I bought these decks way back in the day and I've bought my second copy of the Brian Selden deck because I'm pretty sure I threw the first copy away. But that's got Recurring Nightmare and Survival of the Fittest. And I think the Kai Red Artifact deck is like pretty good also. I think you can just play those decks. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on any other of those decks. Yeah, totally. So the the first one I, I bought was the Kai Wildfire deck. Um, and that one plays pretty great out of the box. It's, uh, I think, an interesting exercise to figure out what to add to it. But I just bought four of the World Championship decks, and they just came in. I just was sleeving them up today. So I got the um, John Finkel Tinker deck to play with. I, I know we don't have Tinker legal, but uh, it might happen. And I had to swap out the Brainstorms, but that's fine. I got the uh, Red Green Land Destruction. They're all from uh, 2000. And then I got uh, Replenish, which has Opalescence. Mm. My favorite one is Chimera, which is one of the uh, Academy Rector decks, and it gets uh, Fecundity, Saperling Cluster, and Ashdod's an Altar to make infinite mana and draw your old deck. Yeah, that deck is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like totally ridiculous. It's a mono green. I mean, it could be mono green. It runs Academy Rector, but it, like the actual combo cards are all green, and they're all enchantments and artifacts. So like Enlightened Tutor is very good. And it's just like an absurd deck that in other eras would, there's no chance it would be good, but it's actually like decent out of the box. Um, I think you have to swap out. I think there's like one bargain and one Yawgmoth's will that you have to cut to like change for um, legality. But otherwise, like that's playable out of the box. Or you could adapt the deck to make a couple different changes and make it probably more fun. And I think you're right. That's one that's playable out of the box. The survival one is almost definitely playable out of the box. I think you need, there's like, a really bad enchantment kill creature that you can upgrade pretty easily, but who cares about that? You can make the mana base a little better. The goblins deck is like probably 80% of the way to a good goblins deck. It doesn't have matron or lackey, but like other than that, it's like pretty playable. It's like a goblin bidding deck from I think 2002 or three. There's also the psychotog deck is like quite close to being really good, like to being what you want to play. Um, and it's nice because like I said, I have a friend who's really into the Wildfire deck, and that's what he did. He started with one of those championships deck, and he slowly adapted it to his play style. But he started with it straight out of the box and has really liked it. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a great way to get into the format if you're skeptical. I mean, the Madness one, I think you can still get for like 40 bucks. which to be fair, I don't know how much more expensive Madness is than like 50 or 60 bucks anyway. But it's kind of cool that you can like have a deck that's pretty decent in the format just straight up, you know, jump on eBay or find it on ABU Games or one of those other uh, sites and start playing immediately. I saw a Wildfire deck complete on eBay for $70, which is a pretty great deal considering that has Grimonolus, Ancient Tombs, City of Traders. And I'm not suggesting that as an investment vehicle. I'm suggesting if you really want to play this deck, then that's probably your best. Or even just play the format. I mean, a lot of those are cards that could go into different if you... You know, decide to part that out. Yeah, and that and that's true for like Chimera too. It has Birds of Paradise. It has Academy Rector. It has Enlightened oh, yeah. Tutor. All those cards are I would call them staples. I think it's funny as I've been building decks, remembering how good Birds of Paradise is, or remembering how good um, some of these cards are that I remember collecting and being super excited when I got my fourth one in you know 1997. And like you talked about packages um, of cards, like. I could swap out the Chimera Kill for the Pattern of Rebirth cards, or you can swap out the the Soul Lands and the Germanolith and Voltaic Key stuff from Wildfire and put that in other colors. So there's a lot of ways you can play around with it. 
Yeah. And like, you know, survival for any of you that played survival in kind of any era, any format, it's made to be customized. So if there's cards that you really liked, if you like living death, if you like combos, if you like, you know, blue cards, all those are reasonable things you can do once you have kind of the survival birds of paradise, wall of roots pieces and where you go from there, whether it's, you know, add force of will and trade and rider and basket root walla or, add kind of combo cards or add recurring nightmare and some juicy reanimation targets like that's sort of up to you and they're all pretty cool viable things it's funny because we've been talking about different decks now and different kind of pieces of this format for whatever 40 minutes and i just was thinking about the the decks that i played last night you know kind of in between rounds at this legacy tournament and we've literally not talked about (laughs) any of them (laughs) there's a lot of decks yeah, there's a, there's a lot yeah. of decks, and we, like not even when we talk about sort of those packages, like not even the packages really. I guess one of them runs Cabal Therapy and Duress and stuff. The the format is so wide open, and a lot of things end up being competitive just because they haven't been fully explored yet. Like there's not a there really isn't a hierarchy of of decks. Clear idea. There's still a lot of work done. Yeah, I guess really what I was getting at was that like Tax Rack is one of my favorite decks in the format. We didn't talk about that at all. So that's Land mm. Tax plus Scroll Rack. Enchantress is one of my favorite decks in the format. We didn't talk about that at all. That's, you know, some subset of the, like, 12 Enchantresses that are, you know, the three different Enchantresses that are available and either a combo kill or a beatdown yeah. kill or whatever. So that that that's sort of what I was just trying to get at. Also, the deck that I think Jeff will like most in the format. We haven't talked <laughs> I like this about. Deck. This deck is fun. Yeah, this is actually, I think, one of the core decks in the format. So Hermit Druid is legal in the format. And there is like an all-in Hermit Druid deck. I forget what it was called at the time, but it had a dumb, not a dumb name, but was a name that was not... Angry Hermit? No, I, I mean, okay. there was a version that was called Angry Hermit, but I feel like there was another name too. But the version that I'm talking about... Are you trying about, to make a statement about my never leave the house mantra? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm trying to make a statement about how you loved playing Dredge before it was good. Hey, hey, I have a lot of top <laughs> with Dredge. I will have you know. Yeah, Jeff made it good. Yeah, that's true. I'm not saying you weren't good. I'm just saying, you know, it was, now it's a lot easier. Back in your day when you had, you know, you didn't have to shake that cane at people. But yeah, so this this deck that I'm talking about runs um, some kind of hits from the history of, of those decks, including Ashen Ghoul, Zombie Infestation, Wild Mongrel, Squee, Kraviken Horror, Hermit Druid, uh, Cabal Therapy, like big old pile. Gamble. Oh man, it's so much fun. It sounds like a pile, and it functions so much better than it sounds. <laughs> I was really it's hoping like, you would say, it sounds like a pile, and it <laughs> plays like a pile. No, actually, it plays surprisingly well. Like, I, I got to play that one at uh, Eternal Weekend and had a lot of Gamble is so good. Yeah, Gamble yeah. is super good. Well, and they're just like... So I guess one thing I would say, if you're, if you're a person that's like thinking about trying out the format, and like we said, there's a lot of decks that are available... Be aware that the graveyard is a thing that can be abused, just like it can be in a lot of these sort of older formats. Enchantments and artifacts are really good. So just like an old school disenchant is, and those kinds of effects are staples. And yeah, creatures are not great generally. There's like four or five creatures that are really, really good and a bunch of really bad ones. Yeah, the sideboards are interesting. I think like the uh, enchantment artifact removal cards are so good. I think they're like the best in this format that I've ever seen them. And the format also has terrible graveyard sideboard cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's Tormod scripts. Oh, that's true. That's one of the best yeah, ones. Yeah, that's true. There's also Planar Void, but I don't think it works against Academy Rector, right? It does 
on their uh, turn. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you have you have yeah. kind of competing triggers, and so there's active some, player there's some complication active player. there. And there's what like Phyrexian yeah. Furnace and Withered Wretch. As Graveyard Hate, yeah. Jeff, you can play against Withered Wretch. Yeah, Withered Wretch is a really solid card. Good old Withered Wretch. I also love a Thran Foundry. <laughs> it's another anti-Graveyard artifact. <laughs> so we are sort of looking ahead to the Magic Fest Cleveland weekend, and you guys are trying to put together a uh, middle school event, it sounds like. Sounds like it'll probably be a Friday beforehand. Yeah, that's that's the plan. We've had a different event at a place in Lakewood called the Bottle House. Uh, and they were pretty amenable to having future events there. So um, we're talking with them to make sure that we can kind of accommodate some people. And we didn't want to conflict with the old school event, which right. is on Saturday, which I believe there are still some slots open for. Yep. And hopefully in some sort of show notes, there'll be a way to, to get a hold of one yep. of those slots. But yeah, so we're, we're, we're hoping to have a tournament on the Friday night um, as people are coming in, have it a little bit later, probably like seven or eight. So that we can just kind of introduce people to the format, even if you can't play in the actual, you know, tournament because you're getting a little bit later, feel free to come by. It's a it's a pretty fun bar. If you haven't ever been to Cleveland, alcohol is cheap here. Hooray! Um, <laughs> if you've been to old school events or you've been to you know Team Serious vintage events, you know it's more about kind of community and hanging out and getting to have some fun than it is about being hyper serious and. You know. Yeah. Well, the last the last <laughs> event you had at the Battle House, I assume that's the one that I was at, and that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, just to hang out and you know be able to drink a beer while you play some card game. You know, yeah. Hang out with people. Yeah, it was great, yep. and we got to meet people. I I, I met some folks. Uh, there were some people in town from Chicago and some other places. So it was, yeah, it was just a really good time. Yeah. So we're looking at uh, Friday, February twenty second. That's the Friday before uh, the main event for Grand Prix Cleveland or the Grand Prix at Magic Fest Cleveland. So you can play in the main event hungover. Yeah. Jake also mentioned the old school event that's uh, being put on by the uh, Cleveland Rocks, which is the best name. Uh, so the Cleveland Rocks are having their old school event. That's also at Bottle House, right? Yep. And yes. that's going to be February 23rd on Saturday uh, at noon. Uh, that has a, a $25 registration there are a few spots left and i'll put the link in the write-up and the money goes to charity yes yeah yeah it's going to providence house one of uh, the nation's longest operating crisis nurseries yeah i think that'll be a really good event um i think it's actually kind of the first official full cleveland rocks event too so i'm excited i'm excited to see that happen and see people yeah, in some definitely. shirts yeah, I'm excited to see uh, Cleveland's old school or Cleveland. Yeah, we have an actual scene now. Yeah, it's which is great. Uh, I mean, Cleveland does. We, yeah. uh, I haven't actually gone out to it yet, embarrassingly, but I'm excited about it. Hi, I'm Nat Mose, one of the hosts of Serious Vintage, which you're listening to right now. For a limited time, we have T-shirts for sale through Teespring. You can search for us there or follow the link on our Eternal Central page. We'd like to say that buying one of these shirts will unrestrict channel, fix all the bugs on Magic Online, and make Goblin Welder good again, but we can't. It won't bring back Control Slaver or Five Color Stacks or abolish the Reserve List either. It certainly can't wash the taste of Malord away. But a t-shirt will warm your torso, look good, and help us put some money back into Sirius Productions with recording equipment and streaming gear. So whether you want the classic Sirius Vintage Love design or the new Sirius Vintage Supper League design, visit Teespring and show us your support. Thanks, as always, for wasting some of your perfectly good hours with us. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, 
so that's the two uh, sort of team serious uh, Cleveland Rocks sponsored events going on at Magic Fest Cleveland. What else should people do in Cleveland? Eat food and drink cheap beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I assume if you're coming, then you're probably going to play Magics uh, for most of your time. That's what drinking. <laughs> or you can not play Magic and eat and drink more. Yes. <laughs> Value your time how you like. But where should I go to eat and drink in Cleveland? If you are going to the main Grand Prix that's at the convention center downtown, there's not a lot of food options in that area because it's in sort of like the civic center. So if you walk, you know, just maybe five minutes or so, you can find all the food. And so personally, if I'm at the convention center, what I like to do is I like to go get takeout from a Vietnamese restaurant. It's called Pha Tang. Oh, Um, Pha Tang. So good. (laughs) Yeah. So I will like call ahead, order two banh mi sandwiches, go there uh, in between rounds, pick them up, and then, you know, eat one on the way back and, you know, have the other one in in between another round or something. I think that's a great play if you're doing, you know, just convention center. I'm going to throw this out there. So I I used to work downtown with Steve. I no longer work downtown. I would, like, drop from this tournament to have uh, from that place. I miss it. We used to go, like, every week. It's a really it's a really tasty place. Wow. And they're very nice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> For more of a sit-down place, I'd recommend Mabel's Barbecue downtown. We actually have pretty good barbecue. That's within walking distance. If you want to drive, you can get barbecue instead at Proper Pig in Lakewood, which is cheaper and it's counter service so you can get your food pretty quickly, which is nice. Mabel's is kind of cool though. It's Michael Simon, uh, who's like one of our few like kind of famous chefs in Cleveland. Oh, from the Food Network. Yeah. He kind yeah. of tried to develop his own style of barbecue. So it's a little bit mustardy. It's good. And it's a really, I, I would recommend that place if you haven't been. Yeah. He just opened a Mabel's in Vegas. So that's how you know it's good. <laughs> yeah. And actually in that area, Mabel's barbecue area is kind of a, it's a little bit shishi, but um, there are some, there's some other good, like kind of fancier restaurants. So if you're just like looking for something upscale, that East fourth is the street. And there are quite a few places on there that are, High end, but really good. <laughs> yeah. A pretty quick uh, Uber ride away from downtown. There's two neighborhoods that have good food scenes. There is Ohio City, which has West 25th. Um, that's mostly uh, bars, but there's some restaurants there too. And if you're going there during the day, you can go to the West Side Market, which is a very large uh, market of independent vendors. It's very cool. Is that similar to like Reading Terminal or... Um... It North is sort of similar. It's it's less prepared food, but there is still prepared food there. There's a lot of like actual kind of grocery-ish things or like butchers and stuff there as well. It's a place that I take every person that comes to visit Cleveland sure. and like visits me for more than a day though. Yeah. It is a good place to snack. Yeah, a good place to snack, a good place to pick up some like kind of provisioning things. And you can definitely have a great meal there too. It's just, it's kind of a cool building also. It's just a neat piece of Cleveland. And I think Jerry would get mad at us if we didn't say uh, that you can get some of the best jerky in the country in there. We have a good number of different kind of ethnic populations in Cleveland over the years. And a couple of them have gotten very excited about the prospect of making really delicious jerky. And you can try all of them at different places at the West Side Market. Mm-hmm. Then we have uh, Tremont is a neighborhood with a lot of restaurants as well. It's pretty close to downtown. And then there's also we have an Asia town. So that includes, you know, Chinese food, Vietnamese food, what have you. If you're an adventurous eater, and especially if you speak Chinese, uh, I would recommend Sejuan Gourmet or uh, Han Chinese uh, Kebabs. Those are both very good. 
And I would just throw out there, depending on kind of the time of day, you're going to have sort of different options. Uh, Steve mentioned like Ohio City. Late at night, there's a big, that's kind of one of our big bar scene areas or later at night. Um, but there's also uh, a place called Barcento that has pizza and is one of the latest places that serves food. And their pizza is really solid and kind of a good <laughs> a good thing to eat if you're uh, maybe over imbibing and want to make <laughs> sure that you can play Magic the next day. And yeah, I think their kitchen goes past midnight. We actually, I'm trying to think of who all was there, but the first Team Serious Invitational, we as a group walked from Twants uh, to that very bar and had a lovely meal of like, I think there were like 20 of us. And it was... Silly. And thankfully, one of the uh, members of the team knew the hostess and managed to get us a seat. <laughs> you um, watch from the Tw- that's got to be at least four miles. Oh, no, no. Twan's old place. He lived on okay. um, on Detroit. And, it, and like it wasn't that far, but with that many inebriated people, it <laughs> seems a little bit longer than yeah, it was. It, it was great fun, though. But yeah, so so that that's a really great place. The other thing I'll just mention um, is Lakewood, where Bottle House is and where the old school event and hopefully the middle school event will be, is kind of a, a, a really good place for food. There are a lot of different restaurants. Melt is a thing if you're into that. If you've been to Ohio a bunch of times, you've probably been to a Melt at this point and you understand what it's about. They're giant grilled cheese sandwiches with a bunch of extra stuff in them. The original location is in Lakewood. There's also... Uh, as Steve mentioned, Proper Pig is in Lakewood. There's a couple of really cool bars. Um, LBM is sort of right down the street from Bottle House. LBM has one of the best burgers in Cleveland. And some kind of great handcrafted cocktails. And Bottle House is no slouch. They're uh, a brewery and meadery. So if you're into mead or you want to try some kind of local beer, very local beer, it's a really tasty place. There's also a couple really good, I would call them medium high end. I think that like... In most cities, they wouldn't be considered high-end just because they're enough less expensive. But uh, really good just places to go. Um, Sarita, a restaurant, which is, I apologize, but that's the actual name is a restaurant. They have a really great happy hour. It's like in the middle of Lakewood. It's delicious. And then Georgetown, sort of on the far side of Lakewood, on the west side of Lakewood, is really great. Has a really great happy hour. Great cocktails and has kind of a club attached to it that if you want to be out late at night and, you know, see some live music or... Um, you know, drink and just be silly. Like that's a really cool kind of area um, to go out and have some fun. So how far is Lakewood from the uh, convention center area? I mean, I know it's a car ride, yeah. but like 10 yeah. minutes, 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. Lakewood is the first, uh, the first Western suburb of Cleveland. So you're, you're pretty close. I just wanted to mention a new restaurant that opened by me that I really like called good company and they have burgers and I really want to go back for their boozy milkshakes. Oh yeah. Um, Cause they sound like they're very good. Uh, and their fries are good too. It is popular though. I went there on Friday and it was a 45 minute wait, which is unusual for Cleveland. But I guess if you're from a, a bigger city, it's that's probably normal. I'm going to say one more place. I know we've listed probably 10 or 15 already. Um, this is kind of just a weird and very cool thing. There's a local ice cream shop called Mason's Creamery. And in winter, the past, I think two years they've done this, um, they transform into a ramen shop. Hmm. And... It's like weirdly legit ramen, um, which there is not a lot of in Cleveland. Uh, We have decent pho. We have really good Indian. We have some other stuff. But ramen is one of the things that I like miss in Cleveland. And Mason's Creamery ramen is really good. The owners of that restaurant actually are from, I think they're from the Bay Area. And when they came here, they like missed good ramen. And so in winter, when they don't get a lot of business for Mason's Creamery, they decided they were going to start being a ramen shop. And yeah, it's, it's worth checking out. 
Um, and it's in that, that same area of um, kind of in between Lakewood and, and where the convention center is. Huh. Yeah. I got to try it out this winter on a cold day and it was very good. And also this isn't something you can eat or drink necessarily, but there is a <laughs> outdoor music fest in Cleveland happening the same day as the Grand Prix. It's the Saturday. It's called Bright Winter. And I've gone to it every year for the past, I don't know, five or six years or so. And it's a blast. And hopefully the weather will be good because the last couple of years it's actually been like in the 50s. But it's an outdoor music festival in February and it gets pretty crazy and fun. Um, so if you're into music, uh, check that out too. Great. Sounds good. Are there any other places people shouldn't miss or anything you feel like you would be remiss if you didn't share? I, I really like the Plum Cafe as kind of a fancier place. That's where you can get some of the more adventurous food in Cleveland. That's in a, a nice little area. It's right next to a brewery called Platform, which is pretty cool. And then across the street, there is the sort of the opposite. Oh, yeah. And there is a very divey dive bar where you can play pool called B&G Tavern. And there is a place called Old Fashioned Hot Dog Inn, which literally looks like you <laughs> stepped into a time warp into 1950 and it's counter service chili dogs. And it's three chili dogs for five dollars. It's that kind of place. Yeah, those are all in the same block uh, at Lorraine and West Forty First. Yeah, for me, I, I feel like I could honestly go on and talk about Cleveland restaurants for like another twenty to twenty five minutes. Well, but don't pick one. <laughs> yeah, instead of doing that, I'm gonna do the thing that uh, I feel like I ought to do for Team Serious, which is promote Angelos. Uh, which is a pizza place in Lakewood that I think everyone on this podcast has eaten at at some point or another. I have not. Oh, ma- really? That blows my mind. We're going there the next time you're in Lakewood. They okay. have a great bar right down the road. <laughs> there is a bar down the road. <laughs> Jerry, who I think you still haven't had on the podcast, but soon will be on at some point. Yeah, he keeps turning me down. So yeah. someday. Just at some point, just put a microphone in yeah. his face. That's his favorite pizza place. I, I really want to make one hour of Jerry talking about the restaurants he's been to that he hated the most, and it would be just solid yeah. comedy. I, I really want to get Jerry to talk about uh, Transformers, the card game. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, all I was going to say is that he's a person that is, if you couldn't tell from those previous comments, very choosy about his food. Very choosy. It's the one place that whenever he comes back to Cleveland, he always visits. And so we usually have a get together there. It's great. It's greasy pizza, but it's very good. Yeah. They deliver a lot of places. It's tasty. They have some deals if you go into the actual restaurant on certain days. But um, yeah, it's just really good. And it's one of the places that I miss when I'm not in Cleveland. When I lived other places, I miss their pizza. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I know we're looking forward to Magic Fest Cleveland and potentially getting to play some middle school and play some old school. And thanks for your recommendations. And thanks for coming on to introduce us to middle school. You bet. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think the uh, to end the food and drink section, Cleveland is one of my favorite places to drink because they have like real bars, which they don't really have in Colorado. A lot of bars are like brand new and fancy and expensive. And like Jake said, it is cheap to drink in Cleveland. If you want a beer for $2, you can find it. Yeah, even expensive drinking in Cleveland is not that expensive, <laughs> especially if you're like from New York or something. Cleveland, not that bad. Cleveland, it's cheap here. Accurate. (laughs) It's 
happened again, you've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. I'm Jay Kilty. And I'm Steve McGrew. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Take a little trip. Take a little trip and see. The first thing I'm going to do is monologue about the banned and restricted list for a half hour. Okay, so. cool. <laughs> and then demand that Jeff put it. I'll make that whole thing the stinger. Like 30 minutes stinger on this episode of just that. <laughs>